0: Welcome again to Contingency FM. Uh, today I'm your host uh, and uh, we have joining us uh, Dr Matt badger Ratcliffe.
1: Hi Philip, thank you very much for having me,
0: long-term listener, first-time caller. Excellent, and Josie wombat aimer.
2: Hello Philip, it's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Gosh, you have a good radio voice. <laughs> right, um, this, uh, that's not an exclusionary statement Matt, I promise. It's alright, I'm just going to cry myself to sleep tonight.
2: Because I'm a posh southerner. Well.
0: I feel like you definitely put your BBC <coughs> voice on today. Right, uh, The this episode we're going to be talking about uh, mistakes and uh, that we've made and what we've learned from them. Uh, so before we start, we're going to start off with a bit of a get-to-know-you fact about yourself. So uh, Jossie, uh, can you tell us a bit about yourself?
2: Uh, Yeah, so my only interesting fact is that last year I got a train from London to Hong Kong.
0: That is quite impressive. It Uh, took a while. Was it just one train?
2: It was several trains. Several
0: trains. Uh, There you go. I didn't know know you
1: could do that. No, me neither. Uh, What's your fact, Matt? So I am a two-time British champion at martial arts.
0: That is very impressive. Thank Thank you very much.
1: Right um, you, Philip. What's your well, interesting my fact? My
0: interesting fact, I didn't think of one before, so I'm going to edit this bit out Well, I think.
2: <laughs> I think you should leave it in.
0: Yeah. Maybe I should leave it in. The savvy listener will note that at this point I chose to leave this in. <laughs> uh, my interesting fact <laughs> is that I once got to the national finals on a school debate, no, a, a general knowledge quiz team at school very impressive Um, but I was definitely not an asset to the team I didn't know anything (laughs) got one question right in the entire experience right so so (laughs) talking about mistakes um, so what we're gonna do is gonna outline some of the mistakes that we've made uh, and then we're gonna have a bit of a chat about it so uh, who
2: wants to start first yeah so I'll go first Um, so um, the mistake that comes to mind that I've made was when I gave out a death certificate without signing it. Um so obviously the patient's son took it to the registrar's office and it got rejected. He had to come back and get it signed to take it again. Um he we'd had a difficult relationship with the son the whole time his dad had been on the ward. Um so um we weren't really starting off with it from a good point anyway. Mm, yeah. Um, so it caused a lot of unnecessary upset.
0: Mm, I can imagine, yeah. Um, and what stage were you at that point?
2: So that was my last F2 job. So I was um, the F2 on the palliative care ward.
0: Okay. Um, and uh, Matt, what, what about you sort of set, out, yeah, set the scene for us?
1: So when I was an F1 quite early on um, as an F1, I was on call... And I got called to a ward which wasn't one of the wards I was covering, but they couldn't get hold of the doctor who was looking after that ward. And then when I arrived, the patient um, I got asked to see was desaturating on fifteen liters of oxygen, mm. and they just looked a bit a bit naff to be honest. But I didn't really spend any time kind of looking into mm. any background of the patient or what the plan was for this patient, right. or what they they were even in hospital for. Right. Okay. And I just put the medical emergency alarm out because I was terrified and I panicked. Mm. Okay. Um, actually kind of once everybody arrived and the plan became quite clear Mm. it became quite obvious that it was kind of an inappropriate kind of an unnecessary uh use of the medical emergency team
0: right okay um and so for me uh i was about two or three weeks into my f1 job and i had a patient who uh i got very distracted because they had a paracetamol allergy (laughs) which they said they were anaphylactic which I was thinking who on earth has a paracetamol allergy Um, and it was the end of a a very long shift, uh, a very full week of shifts and um, I got so distracted by a number of other things that I prescribed Piptaz uh, which is a very high dose penicillin um, and they had a penicillin allergy uh, and that was given to them and very, very fortunately, they didn't have a reaction. So, uh, in some ways, I ruled out penicillin allergy in their past medical history, uh, but in other ways, it was definitely a near miss, and it could have been very serious. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we're gonna have a few questions. So, first of all, uh, Jossie, uh, why why did that happen? What?
2: Um. So. The reason that the son ended up with a death certificate without signature mm. on it um, was that the ward clerk had told the son a time to come in to pick up the death certificate that they hadn't asked me um, before organising that time with the son. Mm. And then just informed me when I had a half an hour's notice or so. Mm. Um, but I wasn't quite sure what the cause of death would be. Right. Um, the patient had had chronic kidney disease and had declined dialysis mm. so I knew that it was kind of chronic kidney disease that he was that he died from but I didn't have any documentation anywhere on what the cause of that was so mm. I kind of wasn't able to put that on the death certificate so what I did was I filled the rest of the certificate out apart from the cause of death and because I hadn't put a cause of death on I didn't sign it and then the consultant appeared I asked the consultant and put the cause that she told me to put on which was frailty Mm. of old age but because there was a gap between doing the rest of the certificate and then putting the cause Mm. on I forgot that I hadn't signed it when I originally did it Yeah, Um, and no one checked it before he picked it up
0: Mm. So it's interesting, What I guess what you're saying, and uh, feel free to, to correct me if you think something else, but it sounds like there's, you had a standard operating procedure of how you fill in death certificates and that standard pattern of behaviour was interrupted by unexpected circumstances.
2: Yeah, so I was <coughs> rushed into doing it, I guess, yeah. because the ward clerk could organise this with the son and yeah. it was on a busy morning and I... W- normally try to do all the death certificates before nine and before kind of I started Mm. doing the ward jobs but um I hadn't had time that morning Mm. um and it was very rare on that ward that I would be unclear on the cause of death because there was most almost always a very clear cause of death
0: Mm. yeah um it's interesting I think for me uh from the mistake I made uh there's some similarities there, in terms of sort of, you, you said you felt rushed. Um, so, uh, for me, I was in the middle of trying to fill in all the sepsis 6 documentation and get things in place within an hour time frame, and uh, a lot of the equipment or the forms I needed to fill in weren't on site, so I was having to go around and gather those. Um, and there's another distractor there, so there's a lot of pressure on to get the job done as quickly as possible. and um, the distractor of the the paracetamol allergy as well, sort of taking my focus away uh, from where it needed to be. And I think that had a very large role to play in why that mistake happened, because I I felt rushed and I didn't take my time.
2: Yeah, I definitely felt rushed, and I think as well, I was... Normally I went and sat in the doctor's office and did out the death certificates, kind of with Mm. the door closed and in peace and quiet. But... Mm think we shared it with the ward sister and I think she was having a meeting in there and I was trying to do this death certificate just in the middle of the office on the ward clerk's desk Mm. and there was just stuff everywhere and there were other death certificates that needed doing Mm. so I and I definitely could have been more proactive in making sure that Mm. I was setting aside time to just make sure that I had done everything I needed Mm. to do rather than feel rushed by other people or by everything else that's going on on the ward.
0: So Matt, uh, with your situation, was there any sort of uh, similarities that you can recognise between our cases and yours in terms of why you're, that, that happened for you?
1: Yeah, and no, I think, again, it, it comes down to kind of feeling rushed and feeling kind of stressed by that, I think. Um, kind of the moment I walked onto the ward, everybody in that environment felt very kind of stressed. And because of that, I felt rushed into yeah. kind of jumping into assessing this patient and I lost my structure mm. I kind of I lost track of my simple A to E mm. and I just kind of saw this patient and I just panicked yeah um, and actually really what I should have done is taken a step back found out actually who this patient was their age why they were in hospital what their current treatment was what mm. their management plan was and actually if I'd done that I would have found out the patient was 99 they had a very clear escalation plan in place, mm. um, which was that there wasn't an escalation. Um, mm. And actually, it really became quite mm. evident as well that even though they looked a bit naff, that was actually probably their normal. Um, and the fact was, it was a kind of a different team who'd come on that morning who kind of didn't really know the patient. Mm. And um, when the team came out, uh, thankfully, the reg who was on call, actually, that was his base ward. So he kind of knew the patient Mm. Um, quite well and everyone kind of arrived and it was kind of a bit of a anti-climax moment where they're all like oh well what what, what are we doing here it's a 99 year old we're not going to be kind of doing anything there's kind of a DNA CPR there's mm. a kind of an escalation plan in place and the reg was brilliant in that they just took control and just kind of mm. sent everybody else away and then spent some time with me kind of talking through a plan and kind of making a plan for that patient mm. um, and yeah, I think that was one of the main things. It was kind of just, I think on whenever you're on call, you're always going to feel stressed, but it's about not allowing yourself to be rushed and just taking the time to properly assess a patient. Um, I think my experience was also clouded a little bit by an on-call shift I'd done a week previously, where I'd seen a patient with a similar presentation who was a lot younger, but was peri-arrest at the yeah, time. Right. Um, yeah. And they deteriorated very, very quickly. Right. Okay. And I think because of that, I kind of jumped to the assumption that because this patient was desaturating on fifteen liters, that they must be going in exactly the same direction. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. And
0: just on the back of that, Matt, uh, what did so you talked about? the reg came and sat down with you. So what? What did you do to uh to fix
1: that situation? To be honest, I I, I kind of just apologized the moment I kind of realized it was completely unnecessary, but. I think, and I think this will apply for for all of you guys as well, in that actually as an F1, everybody would prefer that we overreacted than underreacted. Mm. So the reg in this case was absolutely brilliant. They said, there's nothing to apologise for. Mm. This is what we're here for. Mm. And I think, yes, everybody got pulled away from their areas to come to this event, but because it wasn't anything serious, everybody was able to get back on their way Mm. very quickly. And really the key thing is that actually the safest thing to do when I I wasn't sure I was scared I was worried about the patient was to actually just say yeah I need some help yeah and I think the key thing to take away is that there's always gonna be help available to you Mm. no matter the time day or presentation Mm -hmm. of what you're facing yeah there'll always be somebody there and from people who will kind of be out on the wards be your SHOs Mm -hmm. we'd much rather that we got those calls yeah. As opposed to you struggling and thinking that you're left on your own, yeah. and that you're really worried about a patient and don't know what to do.
0: So what what you're saying then is that if if uh, ever that um, you're in doubt, that you always have a, a low threshold to ask for help.
1: Absolutely, yeah. always have a low threshold Definitely. to ask for
0: help.
2: Yeah. And you are, you're asking for help because you um, feel like you're kind of you know acting above your competence, or you're overwhelmed. Yeah. And if you're overwhelmed because you're stressed. And because this is all new, then you're still overwhelmed, and you still need help. Yeah. yeah, No matter what the clinical picture is. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. Um, so, uh, how about you, Jossie, in your case?
2: So how did this I? F- how
0: yeah. did I
2: kind of fix my mistake? I, well, I signed the death certificate when he brought yeah. it back in. So, yeah. Um. As I said before, we had a really tricky um, relationship with mm-hmm. with the patient's son in the first instance. Um he didn't really like to believe that i was a doctor because i was looked young and i was a girl
1: Hmm.
2: Um, and he hadn't really seen much of the consultant which he was very unhappy about Hmm. um so he brought it in and dropped it off with the nurse so i didn't see him in that kind of first interaction um but i signed the certificate and Hmm. when he came back to pick it up i just apologized that was all i could do right explained that it was he was saying that perhaps it had been done on purpose. So, explained to the best of my ability, that it was just an oversight, and that I was really sorry. Yeah.
0: Um. So putting things right and apologising. Yeah. Uh, promptly. Yeah. And and sometimes I think it's interesting. Like uh, you, your story echoes a number of interactions. I feel like I, I can think of off the top of my head, of uh, families who, for whatever reason, they. They take a dislike to you, or they take a dislike to your team, and that actually sometimes you can't fix that situation. Is that a fair comment?
2: Yeah, so I apologised as much as I could. He and I didn't really feel like I could apologise anymore because mm. I and I, I felt really awful, and I tried to kind of convey that to him, but he, he didn't really seem to be taking any of it mm. on board or listening. Yeah. Um, so the ward sister phoned the consultant. Mm. Um, and the consultant came and apologised to him and that made a big difference because I think he then felt like he'd been listened to yeah. properly because he'd been listened to by the consultant. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's unfortunate that some people clearly have that approach and might not take you seriously, but I uh, don't. Take, I think it sounds like you've managed not to take it too personally. And...
2: Well, it wasn't personal at all. Yeah. He He wanted the consultant to apologise to him because that was the only apology that was valid I guess to him and that's okay he's just lost his dad and emotions are running high Mm. and no matter how someone is behaving you still have a duty of care to them
0: yeah absolutely
1: Um, I think that's a key thing to remember that when we interact with patients when we interact with their families it's usually at a point that's really stressful for them Mm. and I think just because you know really, what they're saying may not be fair to you doesn't mean their feelings are invalid, yeah, um you've got to remember like obviously, in this case this uh, this uh, relative had just lost their dad. Mm. I think often you know I can think of several cases in A and E where you've got families who are reacting badly to wait times and things like that, mm. but actually, it's just because they're a bit scared and mm. it's just because they're stressed and they're upset, yeah and I think it's really important that we maintain our professionalism throughout all of that, yeah. So, uh, and for me, I think,
0: since I realised, I took down the bag of uh, piptas that was being infused um, and I prescribed them uh, chlorphenamine and prednisolone, a single dose, um, and uh, I reassessed them. Uh, I didn't feel they had any kind of allergic or anaphylactic reaction. However, I was ready to prescribe adrenaline if I needed to and uh, hovered around slightly anxiously for a little while until it became apparent that this allergy... Uh, was in fact non-existent. Um uh and then after that uh at, at the same time I also uh, talked it through with the consultant who was uh, on the shop floor um and they were able to advise me further uh, about what to do and um I filled in a Datex form uh, which at first I had I didn't really I, I knew what they were but I I didn't really know how to fill it in but someone was able to show me it was actually quite simple. Um, it, I felt quite safe, sort of re- reporting myself on that. Uh, I think it was, um, I think I would have rather that uh, I did it for myself as well, rather than anyone else doing it. And that that is the right thing to do is to do. It if you, it's best to film one of for yourself. Uh, and I also spoke to my clinical and educational supervisor about it. I let them know by uh, email uh, and had a meeting with them to discuss that. Um, and I uh, used the opportunity to reflect on why that happened and in the future then I developed a teaching session for and some of you who are doing p at South Townside will recognise this story um, to use that to sort of hopefully mean that uh, other people won't make the same mistake or, or might think twice uh, before prescribing Piptaz or an, a penicillin about whether uh, the person might be allergic to it so hopefully less people make mistakes. And, um obviously i felt bad initially and uh, wondered whether this meant i wasn't a good doctor or whether i couldn't do my job or um there's a, a number of uh, useful things online which i've seen sort of experienced doctors talk about their mistakes I realize that actually everyone everyone makes mistakes and uh, it's important that we learn from them rather than beating ourselves up over them
1: absolutely yeah.
0: so Uh, has it, last question, has it changed anything you've done in the future?
1: Um, I think, yes, um, I think it kind of taught me a lesson in terms of the fact that I needed to be calm and need to stick to my structure, but at the same time, I think the reassurance I got from the registrar kind of just let me know that it's absolutely fine the moment you feel overwhelmed to actually just ask for help. so I think in some ways if I was in the same situation and I felt that panic and I wasn't mm. able to calm myself down I'd probably still do exactly the same thing I mm. think that's probably the safest thing to do because the moment your anxiety your stress starts to overtake your assessment then it's probably not going to be a fair or accurate assessment for your patient and therefore it's probably best to get some help alongside you, mm,
0: mm, mm. Oh, you just, What's your take home?
2: Um, so I think making sure that um, I think things through, so take things one thing at a time. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the problem was that I was trying to do five things at once and this death certificate was one of those five things and actually it would be been better if I'd just focused on each mm-hmm. one in turn and found somewhere quiet to sit down and work through it all in one go. Yeah. Um, that would be my... Um,
0: and for me, uh, apart from the obvious one about double checking everyone with a penicillin allergy or before prescribing a medication to double check their allergies. I think uh, the main takeaway for me is actually recognising the impact of stress, of long shifts and um, of uh, external sort of time pressures on how I work and so when I recognise those things, uh, those are the times I sit down and I double check, triple check my lists. Um, I'll Often, if I recognise that I'm having under pressure, I will make a new list at that point, uh, reassessing everything that I need to do in the order it needs to be done and take some time out at that point to consider if there's anything I've, I've missed or not thought about. Um, and that, and then following that list uh, as, as a, as a prioritisation list. So, before we wrap up, we've got uh, some... Uh, the little jokes you want to share with you. Uh, so who wants to go first?
2: So I'll go first. So what's the best thing about Switzerland?
0: What is the best thing about Switzerland?
2: I don't know, but the flag is a big plus.
1: Excellent. Uh, Matt? Yeah. Um, what's the difference between a well-dressed man on a bike and a poorly dressed man on a unicycle?
0: Uh, I don't know.
1: what tyre. Oh, they hump. That's too late. Thank you very much.
0: Timing of that one was a uh, perfect, I think. Um, you don't need a parachute to go skydiving. You need a parachute to go skydiving twice. But
1: <laughs> <laughs> There
0: we go. Right. Um, so, uh, I guess to wrap up, uh, you will make mistakes. Um, it's. It, it, it might be very minor, they might be more major um, and have more serious consequences um, but don't be afraid of this we all have made mistakes uh, there's multiple mistakes we haven't told you about uh, right now, just cause we don't have time um, but don't be afraid of these don't be ashamed, um, it's important to talk about it uh, with your, uh, those who are supporting you a uh, clinical supervisor, your educational supervisor to reflect and learn from them um, but uh, it yeah
2: The only way to not make a mistake is to not come to work ever.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, yeah. Any closing words of wisdom, Matt? No. <laughs>
2: You're all wonderful.
0: Yes. Cool. Well, you have been listening to what's it called? Contingency FM. Join us again next time.